to the Precious Little Sleep Podcast. Today, it's Alexis here, and I am joined by Melissa Brander. Hi, everyone. So uh, I have been busy, as you know, Melissa. Yes. Finishing up my book. Oh, it's so exciting. I can't wait to That's read it. That's right. Soon to be published author, Alexis DBF. Um, and one of the things that I have I use as kind of a guiding principle was to try to make sure that um, any of the advice that I was giving was actually kind of based in truth or based in fact. And it forced me to reevaluate sort of a lot of, um, I guess, uh, pieces of information kind of like, you know, sort of parenting guidelines that I'd picked up along the way. And I don't even know where they come from. I don't know if they come from other parents or something I read online, but these kind of these kind of ideas that I had about sleep, and it forced me to really evaluate them to go, wait, are these things that are true? Are these things that are helping uh, me or helping other parents? Or are these just kind of old wives tales that we've kind of built into our sort of parenting knowledge and domain expertise, and they're not really either true, or maybe the science has moved on, or maybe experience has shown that they're not really as helpful as we might have once thought. Yeah, I mean, there's so many ideas about sleep out there. I mean, all you have to do is Google baby sleep, and you'll get like a million ideas, but that doesn't mean they're all equally good ideas. Yeah. And I also feel like I see parents sort of getting hung up on some of these things and twisting themselves into these like uncomfortable yoga knots, trying to work within some of these. And they're just not that helpful. Yeah. Or, or the payoff isn't worth the effort, basically. Yeah, especially if your child is sleeping well. Like if your kid is sleeping well, you are golden. Like there may mm -hmm. be stuff you have to worry about up ahead in the future. But if your kid is sleeping well in the present, like don't mess with it. Like, yeah. So today we're going to go through a list of these and sort of highlight some of the things that a lot of parents are still trying to shoehorn their their child or their own kind of lifestyle into and really evaluate whether or not it's it's a good thing, a bad thing, if it's helping you or hurting you, and what you could do instead. So the first one that Melissa kind of um, alluded to is there's a strong belief that your child can only sleep so many hours a day and, you, and that all of these sleep problems are related to the fact that they're napping too much and we need to cap naps. And yeah, and I think especially, like, I think this one is really, like, age-dependent, especially, like... Um, newborns, they, newborns do sleep a lot and they're not going to sleep as much as they get older. So that problem will kind of like correct itself. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely when you're talking, I think, I think I see this people, um, worrying about this the most probably in like the four to 11 months range, especially when you're going that like three to two nap transition. Well, and I, I think that it's funny because people on all edges of the spectrum are concerned that what, however much their child is sleeping is wrong. And the reality is, is that there is a vast range of normal. Yes. So, you know, um, and we'll share these in the show notes on the website. I mean, so the National Sleep Foundation actually put out new guidelines. There had been old guidelines. They were updated based on kind of m more current research about, you know, what is normal based on age. And the reality is, is that for any age, there's a wide range of normal. And, you know, sure, there will be some nine-month-olds who sleep 13 hours a night. But that's relatively uncommon. Yes. Just as there will be some nine-month-olds who sleep nine, you know, who sleep 10 hours a night or 11 hours a night. You know, again, all of these are normal. Yeah, um, most of the ranges... Child. 
most of the ranges are a three-hour gap. So that means mm-hmm. that one child on the high end of the spectrum could be getting three more hours of sleep than a child on the low end of the spectrum. But those are both normal for their age group. And if the child is happy and rolling with it, then you should roll with it too. So yeah, so there's a lot of parents who are concerned. A, a common concern is I, my child's not sleeping 11 hours a night. And, you know, the reality is, is that based on your sleep hygiene, meaning age-appropriate wake time, age-appropriate consistent bedtime, falling asleep independently, if your child sleeps 10 hours a night, they may be a 10-hour-a-night kid. And that's yep. how they're wired. Yep. Um, just like there are 12-hour-a-night kids. Uh, mm-hmm. That's how they're wired. It doesn't mean that the 12-hour-a-night parent is a better parent. You know, they have a good baby, yeah. you have a bad baby. It's just the way they are. Um, and it might change a lot of- as they get older, too. Like my youngest son, when he was on two naps, he was a more 10-hour night sleeper. Now that he's on one nap, he's more like a 12-hour night sleeper. So Yes. Although I want to say that is not a guarantee. It's right. not, it a guarantee. not a guarantee. So but some people are like, oh, great. He'll sleep two extra hours when he's at night when he stops napping. And I'm like, well, no. The reason we drop naps, you know, as babies grow older, they stop taking naps. The reason we drop naps is our sleep needs diminish as we age. Yeah. So um, some kids will shift a, a dropped nap, you know, that time that they were napping to a night's sleep, but some won't. So you got lucky. <laughs> yes, I did get lucky. But I'm just saying it's yeah. not like set in stone once and forever. Like if your three month old only does a 10 hour night, it might be different when he's three years old. So it's not like a set in stone forever thing. Yeah, and vice sure. versa, if your kid does a 12-hour night at some age and then later on only does an 11-hour night, that can also be normal too. It's not like locked in stone forever. So so the key here is that there's a wide range of normal, that the amount of sleep your child gets is steadily decreasing from birth through 18 months. You know, it's a pretty straight line decrease. Then it kind of, you know, tables off for a few years and then decreases again um, when they become sort of a preschool aged kid. And then it sort of stays there until they're a teenager. So um, it's, it's, it's generally declining over time. And I, I see a lot of people um, suggesting that the solution to sleep problems is to um, cap naps, that yes. night wakings or persistent sleep problems are all caused because they're napping too much or their night is too long. And I'm not going to say that's never an issue, right. but it's fairly rare. I mean, there are a lot of things you need to rule out before you come to that conclusion. Right. Um, and I see it kind of being suggested a lot, and it makes me concerned that we're like overutilizing, you know, overblaming the too much sleep issue when it's really a fairly uncommon issue. Right. So and we- I mean, generally speaking, like because the sleep drive is lower during the day, generally speaking, for the most part, you're, if your kid is sleeping well at night, they're not going to sleep a super long nap during the day, too. Um, mm-hmm. So for generally naps are usually pretty self-regulating once you're in good hygiene because you just don't have the sleep pressure to sleep for like four or five hours at a nap like you do yeah. at night. So Yeah, it's like the la- like it's the last thing I would consider to be an issue after all other vastly more likely scenarios have been ruled out, you yes, know. Me too. Um so what are some actual indications that you need to cap naps or wake a child up from a nap, especially as a regular thing, not just like one time because we have to make a doctor's appointment. Um 
Uh, and again, this is assuming that all of your sleep hygiene is like complete perfection, gold star, you know, perfection. Yes. You know, sometimes when kids are in the process of dropping a nap, going from three to two naps or two to one nap, you get in this weird zone where they kind of need two naps, but two naps is a little bit more sleep than they need and they're in this wobbly gray area where, you know, if you if you shorten one of the naps, you know, let's say, let's say you have a... I don't know, like a nine-month-old who's napping, you know, for two hours in the morning and an hour and a half in the afternoon. Yeah. Now, they're too young to drop to one nap, but it's three and a half hours of day sleep might be a little bit more than they need. So one option might be to shorten the second nap of the day to a 45 minutes, you know, right. wake them up after 45 minutes and, you know, kind of hobble through that way for a few months until they're ready to drop to one nap completely. Um, so it's a temporary, you know, couple of weeks, maybe two months, usually related to nap dropping. Um, but it yeah, shouldn't and be I like think it happens. Um, I think it especially happens more when you're in one nap. I mean, you're on one nap for quite a while, longer than any of yeah. the other naps. And so I think that can be a scenario where you need to cap naps. Say as like, say you drop to one nap as a one year old, and your child naps for three hours, then possibly when they're like three they still need mm-hmm. a nap but three hours is too long and is causing night sleep problems that would be a good scenario yeah. where you would cap naps yeah you either you either take no nap in which case you have a three-year-old who's melting down all afternoon yeah you have them take a three-hour nap in which case they don't fall asleep until 11 o'clock at night or maybe we just take like a one-hour nap in the afternoon just to kind of <laughs> right keep it together for for everybody's sake yes um, so another thing, and I was hoping, Melissa, you could tell us about this, that I see coming up a lot is that the solution to every night sleeping problem is to move bedtime up an hour. Yes. This is like probably one of the most frequently asked questions we see, especially like my kid had bad naps today. Do I move bedtime up an hour? Um, and generally, this is generally speaking a bad idea for a variety of reasons. But the first of all is because of your circadian rhythm which we've talked about before. And so that makes it that that's why a consistent bedtime is so important because then your body knows this is the time when I fall asleep. If your bedtime is eight, your body knows at eight o'clock I fall asleep. And so if you try and make your body fall asleep at seven, it is very hard for it to fall asleep because there's a dead zone right there, right before you fall asleep. And even I've experienced this as an adult. If I try and go to sleep at nine, when I usually go to bed at 10, I just toss and turn for an hour. And it's almost impossible to fall asleep before your bedtime. Yes. there. It, it's like jet lag. You're asking your child to have jet lag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes like overtiredness is not as big of a problem as we seem to think it is. And maybe it is hard for us as parents to deal with an overtired kid. But a lot of times, if you put them to bed like an hour early, what's going to happen is they're just going to cry or scream for that hour and then fall asleep at their regular bedtime. And Mm -hmm. that's not fun for anybody involved. No. I think, you know, again, it's not important to assess blame of like where did these ideas come from. But I do think that Weisbuf is, like, I feel like, 80% 80% of his book is saying your child is overtired. Like everything is overtired, you know. Um, and 
uh, that's really hooked into people as to like, okay, so they, you know, they have to nap more. We have to make bedtime five o'clock, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think like the worst part about this one is that if you keep moving bedtime early, you can get stuck in this vicious cycle because what's happened? Say you move bedtime up from, say bedtime is at eight, for example, then you move it up to seven. Okay, so now your baby is going to wake up at seven. If you, they nap and then there's a long time before bedtime again, then you decide, oh, I'll move their ba- their bedtime up again and then you move it up to like six then they're waking Mm -hmm. up at six then you move bedtime up again and eventually you're gonna run out of time to move bedtime up and also you'll be in this terrible early waking early bedtime cycle that is really hard to get out of I see this a lot when um, parents go back to work and, you know, I don't want to be totally grim about daycare naps, but there's a lot of kids who don't nap well at daycare. Yeah. So you have a kid who all of a sudden went from taking decent nap to taking terrible naps because daycare, the lights are too bright, it's too exciting, there's other kids around, they can't fall asleep. So they take these little like 20, 30 minute naps all day. And then by the time you pick them up in the evening, they are beat. Yeah. So now you have a kid who's like falling asleep on you at six o'clock and parents are like, wow, I mean, he didn't nap and he's falling asleep on me and I'm like nursing and he's falling asleep. So I guess we should just put him to bed. When you start putting kids to bed at six o'clock, what you often end up with is now a child who's done sleeping for the night at four in the morning. Yeah. And, you know, and then the cycle just continues. Well, now he's up at four in the morning. He's ready for nap number one at, you know, 545. Yeah. Like, you know, and so then the whole schedule can get locked into this too early bedtime, too early waking, naps are shifted, overtired, falling asleep at six o'clock thing. And it's, that's not a party. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody wants to go to that party. (laughs) Right. And so, like, it will be hard to put up with them being overtired on one night, but chances are this is just a one-day thing. And if you ride it out and put them to bed closer to their normal bedtime, then they're going to be able to, in the long run, hang with it a lot better than if you get caught in this early wake-ups, early sleep cycle because that is much harder to get out of than just hanging with a slightly overtired baby for one day. It's so unfair, but kids are prone to waking up early. So, you know, if you wake up at four o'clock in the morning for a week, that can become a habit that's hard to break free. That is a bad habit. Nobody, nobody wants to have it. Nobody wants to be hanging there out. There is I don't nothing care how good cute that television is. at four in the morning. Yeah, there's no amount of cuteness that makes me want to hang out with you at four in the morning. Um, but, um, you know, so the one, you know, possible, uh, you know, caveat to this would be like, if your child has been sick. Now, people are always like, what if my baby's sick? And to me, there's a big difference between baby has a sniffle because yes. most kids have a sniffle pretty much the entire winter, you know, when they're yep. one or two, especially if you have older siblings, right? Yes. They're constantly like sniffly and This boogery. is my life this winter. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like... <laughs> um, so, you know, to me, it's like, meh, you know, kids are always having a sniffle. Kids are always teething. So to yeah. me, that's not... That's like lowercase sick, you know? Yeah. I and think like with um, when it comes to sick kids and being overtired and moving bedtime up, you will know based on how they're acting. Like, mm-hmm. for example, my, my oldest son, he's four. He doesn't really nap anymore. This week, he was, last week he was six, so he took like naps two times a day. And I didn't, or not two times a day, but two days that week. And like, I didn't force him to make naps. He just went and took those naps because he was tired because he was sick. So when your kids are really sick and need you to move their bedtime up, 
they will they will um show you more that they're like they'll be more lethargic and low energy than just like a little sniffle and they're typically you know like things like high fever you know tummy bugs like like capital sick not lowercase sick um sometimes after travel um you know especially if you've traveled time zones but again these are you know fairly rare occurrences so not things that we should be doing um in general so uh so back to my book. Uh, so, you know, I was thinking about the fact that if I wanted to write a best-selling baby sleep book, really, I would just write a book called Baby Sleep Schedules for, like, Nap Perfection. I mean, that book would sell, like, gangbusters, and I could charge, like, $30 a copy, and everybody would be like, well, I don't care. We need to have it because that is – like, everyone wants to talk about sleep schedules. Yes. They love the idea of sleep schedules. Yes, and I would say most commonly, like – when people ask this question in the group, then almost like within five minutes, somebody has posted a screenshot of a schedule that works for them. And yeah. but they're all all the schedules are different. So either they all work or none of them work. People love sleep schedules. And I, I laugh because I mean, I'm trying to provide a book that's based on evidence that's based on you know, practical solutions. And I'm like, I could have written this book in three months and just had it called, you know, the ultimate baby sleep schedule book. Like that's just like... <laughs> That's the that's the sequel to your book, Alexis. I could have just skipped three years of work and then just cranked that out. So people love schedules. And I think it comes down to that whole idea that as parents, nobody is telling us that what we're doing is right. And we want to check in with others. Yes. Like, are you doing what I'm doing? Is what I'm doing okay? What are you doing? And I get totally. the instincts. I totally This do. is totally my instinct to ask other people. Like, like it's like... The hard part is, like, when you're working a job, like, you have a boss, and the boss tells you what to do, and you have, like, a way to measure the work you are doing against what the boss tells you to do. But then when you become a parent, there's no way to measure if you are doing the right thing. And, of course, everybody wants their kids to turn out good, and everybody wants their kids to grow up well and be healthy and be happy and everything like that. And so there's so much out there. You just want something that you can like check off and know that you are doing the right thing. I totally yeah. get that. That's a hundred percent my personality. I, I want a gold star. Yes. And I, I have this too. I get it. And, and I know that no matter how many times I tell people to stop asking other people about their schedules, I'm going to be ignored and people are going to continue to ask this question. <laughs> but here's the reason why asking about other people's sleep scheduled schedules is not a winning strategy for the first part is as we've already mentioned Sleep needs vary enormously. Yeah. So your child's sleep needs and somebody else's child's sleep needs are likely not the same. Correct. Uh, secondly, when you're comparing child's sleep schedules, we really need to be comparing apples to apples. So mm-hmm. does that child have the same sleep, sleep needs as your child? Are they the same age? And really, for kids under one, we need to be kind of exactly the same age. Yes. You know? Like, I mean, like... You would think it was banana pants to try and put your 11-month-old on a newborn schedule, but it's just as big of a difference between 6 months and 11 months. Yep. It's very, very different. Um, They have to wake up at the same time every day. So sometimes people will be like, oh, my child naps at 9 and 1. And I'm like, well, what time do they wake up? You know, my son at that age woke up at 5 in the morning. He would never have made it till 9 o'clock. Right. So they make up at the same time. the other issue is how long can your child be awake? Now, this is another book I could have written in three months and charged $30 for. Awake and timetable. So like hotcakes. 
Uh, I, I am a terrible marketer because I should have written books that I did not write. <laughs> because wake, how long your child can comfortably be awake between naps is highly individual. And I don't like to be really prescriptive about it because what I've observed is that parents are amazingly good at figuring out exactly what works for their child. Yes. So if I'm talking to some parent who said, well, you know, we've tried this, this, and this, and this seems to work well, I trust that because they're very, very good at identifying what works for their child. Yeah. And I mean, commonly we see questions about two, three, four, and people will say like, two, three, four didn't work for us. Three, three, three point five wasn't better mm-hmm. for our kid. And that is okay. It's not like there's some prescriptive Bible that says two, yeah. three, four is better than three, three, three point five because they're not. They're the same thing spread out in a different way um, based on what your kid can tolerate and what will help them nap well. Like it does no good to put your kid down for a after two hours of wake time, if he's just going to cry for a half an hour and then fall asleep, then two and a half hours of wake time might be a better bet for you. So just to clue people in in case they're not familiar with what we're talking about with the two, three, four. So what we're talking about is wake times, how long your child can be awake before they take their first nap, their second nap, and then bedtime. And two, three, four means waking up for the morning at, let's say, 6 o'clock, being awake for two hours, then taking nap number one, and then waking up, and then being awake for three hours, and then taking nap number two, and then being awake four hours between nap number two and bedtime. And this is a common, um, that is a common guideline of rough approximate wake times for most kids in the 9 to 12 month zone. Some kids are doing it at 6 months, that's a little uncommon. You know, um some kids are doing it at, you know, 16 months, but it's it's it most kids tend to kind of hit there in the 9 to 12 month zone. Now, that again, that is not a prescription to say you should be doing that. Some kids are awake, you know, as Melissa said, 3 3 3 and a half. Some kids are awake 3 3 5. Some kids are awake an hour and a half, uh 2 and a half and 3 and a half. I mean, it's just it's just what works for them. So parents are like little scientists constantly adjusting schedules and looking at what happened and how did this work out. And they're really, really good at figuring out their individual child's ideal wake time so that they can fall asleep easily, take a good healthy nap, fall asleep easily at bedtime. So um, rather than looking towards others and saying, well, you know, what did you do? The real question is, are the wake times that you've been using for your child working for you? And back to the issue of your child's sleep needs are diminishing as they go through the first year specifically. I mean, it, it continues on from there, but it's, there's a pretty sharp decline in the first year. How long they need to be awake before they fall asleep is increasing yes. throughout the first year. So it's a moving target. So chances are, if you're questioning things, your child might have aged out of what was working last month and needs right. to be awake like a touch longer than they were at you know a month or two ago. Right, and usually, like especially as you get older, it's a moving target throughout the day for most kids. Um, Most kids need less wake time before the first nap than they will need before bedtime. And that's also very normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So asking other people about their sleep schedules almost will almost never give you really good functional, usable information to apply to your your own child. Yes. And if you try and force, like, say your kid was taking naps at nine and one and doing great on that. And then somebody came along and said, well, my kid naps at eight and noon. And then you tried to like force your kid into your eight and noon. It's probably not going to be pretty. Um, Mm -hmm. It's probably going to be a lot of stress for you and your child. Um, So, yeah, no, it's it's a tough 
Uh, and I and I understand it, by the way. I understand that people don't like the variability. They don't like the fact that what worked last month isn't working now. And, yes. you know, you feel like you just sort of get, a, your, you know, your groove going on and then it doesn't work anymore. And I, yes. I understand that's uncomfortable, but I also understand that that's life with a baby. Yes. <laughs> like, Babies change so much. Like if you look at like where they are born and how they start out and where they are just one year later, like it's incredible. You grow and develop more during that first year of your life than any other time in your life. I mean, you are learning how to move, in some cases how to talk, how to feed yourself and everything like that and like that is the kind of development that's not seen anywhere else in your life which means things are going to rapidly change and things are going to be different from six months to seven months but that's okay you can adjust and figure it out and I think it's easier and, and I think it's probably true for you too like I I think, you know, we are not like super type A people. So, you know, I think we Uh, I'm a little type A, Alexis. (laughs) Well, I think we're I think we can go with a little bit of chaos. You know, I think you and I are not, you know, like everything has to be super organized and everything, you know, a place for everything and a thing for every place, you know, that whole thing. And and I think that, you know, especially for type A people, having a baby is really hard, right? Like it's chaotic. It's a chaotic experience. And so things like order and predictability kind of go out the window and that's really uncomfortable for some people. Yeah. And I I mean, it was for me too in a sense, but when my firstborn, I was also uh, practicing attachment parenting. And Mm -hmm. so I think that like, in the long run led to me being looser and freer about schedules because in the beginning I was like everything is dictated around baby's wants and needs so then like putting a schedule was a totally foreign concept to me at that point and I would have been like what are you talking about yeah 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 well and then you know so so there's the following the baby's lead angle uh for everything and then there's the opposite of that which is the 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 golden you know uh, sheen of the by the clock schedule, and people yes. love the idea of the by the clock schedule. And I, again, I totally understand why. The idea of a by the clock schedule means that we're going to have a fixed nap schedule that's run by the clock. And at this time we nap, and at this time we nap, and at this time we have bedtime. And, 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 and. And that's super appealing. It enables you to uh, it creates the veneer that you can no longer worry about, like what's going on during the day because who cares we're only you know we're we're going to go by the clock no matter what yeah. it enables you to have some sense of control it enables you to have some sense of predictability we can book appointments because you know we have some idea of when naps going to happen and you know thus we can go to the dentist and you know get our hair cut and all these other great things yeah um, so I, I totally get this. And, you know, and I, I've always emphasized this focus on wake time. And the reason why I focus on wake time is because, well, it's a couple of re- reasons. One is that's how day sleep works. You need to accumulate sleep drive by being awake. Yes. Um, the second is that when we think about things through a lens of wake time, it enables us to be flexible in adjusting to the fact that some days are bad nap days. Mm-hmm. And if your child normally takes an hour and a half nap in the morning and then one day they take a 30-minute nap, now what? You know, if we're sticking to a rigid by-the-clock schedule, that child who just took a 30-minute nap is going to be awake a really long time before their next nap. And probably miserably so, you know, like, yeah. so. And I think like, like by the clock schedule is wonderful and there are a lot of advantages to it. And obviously since my kids are older, they're on a more by the clock schedule, but pushing it too early is going to create a lot of problems for you. 
Yeah. So what tends to happen, is, a couple things happen is, one, as your child gets older, and you know when exactly this is varies, but I'm going to say definitely within the 6 to 12 month old zone, what tends to happen is organically, they start to fall into a bit of a rhythm. You know, newborns are kind of like a crapshoot. Who knows what's going to happen? But, you know, by the time your child's six to nine months, they tend to wake up at the same time every morning, more or less. Um, So now they're waking up at the same time. So if your child can only be awake, let's say, two hours before nap number one, and they wake up at the same time every morning, by definition, nap number one will organically fall into a by-the-clock schedule. If they wake up at 6 and they're awake two hours, then they'll be taking nap number one at 8 a.m. So we now have nap number one is by the clock. If nap number one is of the same duration most of the time, then nap number two will fall at the same time every day. So then, boom, nap number two is now by the clock. So things kind of happen organically because people will ask, well, when do I do a by the clock schedule? I'm like, well, the baby will let you know. I mean, it will happen. Yeah, Um, I think like the first, like if you want to head towards a by-the-clock schedule and your child is like old enough appropriately for it, like the first step is getting consistent bedtime. Like for us, we had consistent bedtime probably for like three to four months before we had by-the-clock naps mm -hmm. just because our nap lengths were variable, but we did have that consistent bedtime, which eventually laid the framework for the rest of us we just couldn't get there and if you're only going to do one part of it the consistent bedtime is probably the most important time should be happening far earlier i mean that's something you have control over and you really want to kind of drive that ship you know by three months four months like really that should be kind of locked down um the other thing i was going to say is that as kids get older they can um, they can, they can roll with a slightly long, you know, like they can be a little more, have a little more wiggle room with how long they can be awake. Yes. So then the by the clock schedule seems to work better, even if naps aren't completely of the same duration all the time. Yes. Um, it's less of a crisis to be like slightly overtired when you're nine or 12 months old than it is when you're three months old. Yeah. And sometimes it sucks for you as a parent, but they're going to yeah. be fine. <laughs> they're a little extra like, fussy, a- but it's. Like, right, like wait, like we talked about earlier with the moving bedtime up, it's not, um, like once you set that bedtime, you really want to do your best to stick to that bedtime as much as you can, mm-hmm. um, because that's what's going to be best for your child in the long run, even if it means a couple of overtired days, it, you will all survive. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying, I think that, you know, I, I would say that babies kind of organically tend to fall into a by the clock schedule maybe you know no later than nine months typically you know sometimes earlier so I don't think it's so much it's something that you do it's something that you observe and lean into yep um and it's really based on what's working Mm -hmm. so you know I I don't know where like there was a, a lot of people sort of thought kids should be napping at nine and one and I'm like well for sure for some kids who sleep until seven and are nine months old napping at nine and one might work but the reality is that that's only going to work for kids who meet those certain parameters. The reality is is that whatever by-the-clock schedule you're using, you're using it because it works for your child. And it will yeah. happen organically, 
And you'll just have to observe that it's working. So then along with by-the-clock schedules kind of come these questions about whether or not you should be waking your child at the same time every morning. Like, is it okay that this is variable? Um, And generally, you know, babies are not robots. I mean, the only reason that most adults wake up at the same time every day is because we set an alarm clock. And most of the time for most adults, it's earlier than we want to be waking up. Let's just be real about that. Um, Generally, a little bit of variability in this area is okay. Um... If there is a specific reason that you need to wake them up for daycare, that's fine. Um, but for the most part, it's not like my kid wakes up at 6.30 every morning, so now it's 6.40, so I need to wake them so that they stay on track. For the most part, variability is okay. Um, if it's also natural and human. Yes, yes. And um, if you're seeing a lot of variability, like three to four hours, this would be where you might want to consider like waking them up at the same time every morning. But usually if you're seeing so much variability, like hours worth, then there's a lot of variability. Right. There's a lot of variability with bedtime or further on in the day. So if there's that much variability in the morning, that's not where you want to start. You want to look at bedtime and the rest of your naps. It's pretty normal to have like a like a 15 to 45 minute swing in the morning yeah you know and that's not a crisis that's not like oh my god that's just yeah that happens enjoy it enjoy your extra 45 minutes of kids sleeping. well no one ever thinks of it as extra 45 minutes we think of it as they woke too early right yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. they normally sleep till 6 30 and they were up at 5 45 like you know yeah uh, and I trust me, I don't want to get up at 545 either. But that's life with babies and toddlers. You're going to get those mornings. And it it just is. <laughs> yeah. And so we've talked a lot about schedules. And now we're just gonna before the end of our podcast, like touch on two other two other topics quick. And um the one thing that another thing that when you're first having sleep issues or when you're having new sleep issues, a lot of times what people will reach for is that the crib is uncomfortable or mm-hmm. if they're sleeping in a pack and play, as my children did, then the pack and play mattress is uncomfortable. And so then people will add extra things to it or buy softer mattresses. And first of all, this is an unsafe practice. Like you don't want to buy an extra pack and play mattress that didn't come with your pack and play. You don't want to put a bunch of blankets and pillows in your kid's crib. I mean, talking under ones here, um, because those things will a not fix the problem and B be unsafe. Um, most of the time, these issues have to do with sleep hygiene. Um, it's a sleep association problem where they're falling asleep, on you or near you so then when they hit the crib they're crying because they want you back and Mm -hmm. that's most of the time is sleep association problems with pack and play it can also be travel related no kids sleep well when they travel um and getting a better pack and play mattress is not going to fix that travel sleeping just trust me even even my kids who slept in pack and plays their whole crib sleeping time if we took the pack and play to another place they still they slept terribly because yeah. travel just throws them off. So you know, I think as a general guideline, it, the solution to your sleep problems cannot be purchased on Amazon. Yes. Unless it's my book. In yes. which case it can't be purchased on Amazon. No, but seriously, like, the book people is like want a wanna... gadget. Don't put the book in the crib with the baby. It's yeah, not going to sleep better. I mean, but seriously, people are always looking for something like, can I buy something to fix this? Yes. And, and trust me, like, I get that instinct because. There's this 
idea that I have to figure out what's not working, make some changes that are probably going to be a little uncomfortable in the short term for me and my child. And, you know, we're going to have to learn to do things a new way. And learning to do things a new way is a lot harder than slapping that credit card on Amazon and having a box show up in two days. (laughs) Yes, I definitely think like... I think back to my first kid with um, when we were having sleep association problems and I didn't realize yet what there were, all the things that I bought that I oh. thought would help it. Even though we were broker than broke oh, at the time, yeah. I was so desperate. Oh, um, yeah. But the reality is that there are no magic baby sleep gadgets that you can buy that will make your crib a more inviting place that will make your kids suddenly sleep in there because it's not about the crib. I also think, and I don't, I can't, I don't know what beds are like in all countries, but I feel like Americans specifically seem to have like a lot of crap in their bed and they got the yes. down toppers and they got the craftmatic and they got the, you know, everything's like 500 pillows and it's a whole thing. And I feel like we've gotten our beds to be so full of stuff that we look at our child's bed and it looks, you know, like it looks alarmingly bare. Yeah. Um, and I suspect that for most of the world, like alarmingly bare is just normal. <laughs> yeah. It's not. No, I totally um, agree with you. Like it's it's that thing that we do that we think that because we need something or do something that babies should also need or do the same thing. But they are completely different, different people than us. I mean – You wouldn't apply that in reverse and say, well, my child naps three times a day. I should also nap three times a day. Um, I should should nap three times a day. I will say, by the way, I don't know that adults need quite so much padding in their bed either. But we definitely have a large industry of stuff trying to sell you, you know, things you need to add. You know, just walk into Bed Bath & Beyond. There's like, a, you know, all kinds of toppers and add-ons. And um, uh, and I'm like, yeah, or you just need like – you like a blanket. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah. Yeah. So in some, it's not the mattress. It's not that it's too firm. It's not that it's too cold. It's not that they're too cold. Very rarely is it that they're too cold. Um, it's basically that it's, you know, kids need to learn how to fall asleep. Kids yep. need a lot more soothing than we do. Yeah. But the mattress is And we don't right. want to add soft or possibly hazardous materials yes. into our child's sleep environment. Um, chasing- and expect that. If you're asking your kid to sleep somewhere differently than normal, that things will be rough yeah. and that yeah. buying extra sleep gadgets to make that travel sleep better yeah. is not going to help. It's gonna be rough going to be rough no matter what you do. It's, yeah. That's just part of the process. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the last thing I wanted to talk about, and it's sort of, um, as Melissa mentioned, off topic relative to the scheduling kind of issues we've been focusing on, but it's another kind of hang up about sleep that people have. And it just persistently comes up. And I've not wanted to really address it head on because if I address it, I'm sort of advertising it and I didn't want to do that, but I feel like I need to address it. So there's a pediatrician named Dr. Jay Gordon, and he is a hardcore attachment parenting proponent. Uh, If you let your child cry a tear, you are unloving and are going to have attachment disorders and a whole bunch of bunk that has no basis in science or reality, but that is his uh, pitch to parents. and. Um, he's definitely a parent shamer and, uh, you know, basically his position is if your child wants to sleep latched onto your nipple all night long for five years, then that's what you should be doing. And that's just not a reasonable, safe, or effective option for most people. Mm -hmm. Uh, so then the question becomes, well, you know, what are your options? So 
the Dr. Gordon method for options for parents who want to feed their child less at night or nurse less at night, um, but of course can't allow a tear to happen because should your child shed a tear, um, that's, you know, tantamount to child abuse. His approach is to say, listen, you can continue to nurse them to sleep at bedtime just like you normally do. You can nurse them until they're a limp piece of bacon in your arms and sneak them into bed. Uh, of course, in his scenario, everyone's co-sleeping. And then when they wake at night demanding to nurse, as they will because they have nursed to sleep at bedtime, establishing this strong nurse equals sleep association, when they wake later in the night demanding to nurse, you gently say no, and you cuddle, and you rub their back, and you pat their head, and you say, you know, no milk, baby, no milk, until they get the idea and they roll back over and go to sleep. But, like, now, you have to have the mildest, calmest, gentlest kid ever for this to work because most kids, if you tell them no to something in the middle of the night, they're going to lose it. They are yeah. going to be upset and angry. And nobody wants to fight about it at 2 in yes, the morning. No, it's a hard... This battle is not won at 2 a.m. because, like, I don't know about you, but at 2 a.m. it's all about what can get my kid to go back to sleep the fastest because yeah, you're right. exhausted. Like, you can't, like, even think properly at that time frame because you're all discombobulated from being woken up and so yeah so what's going to happen is your child's going to wake up every hour to hour and a half all night long demanding to nurse and then you're going to spend 45 minutes you know rocking and patting and singing and doing whatever you're doing and then your child's going to fall asleep for half an hour 45 minutes to repeat the process and this can go on for weeks i mean weeks and weeks and weeks and it's an Everyone now is miserably sleep deprived. It's really hard to hold that line. Um, I mean, eventually, let's be honest, you're going to pop that boob out. Like, yeah. you're just going to be like, oh. And the problem with this is that it's contrary to our basic biology of how sleep works. Sleep associations are established as you fall asleep at bedtime. If your child falls asleep nursing, their demands to nurse in the night are not unreasonable because we've just taught them by nursing them to sleep at bedtime, this is how you sleep. So teaching them how to do it one way and then denying them that thing later in the night is contrary to biology. And it's not, I'm not saying this because I'm like, you know, unsympathetic to how hard this is for parents, but this is the reality of how we fall asleep. Yeah. So the reason why this is so appealing to parents, however, is because it it gives them an option to avoid doing the hard, scary thing. Yes. The hard, scary thing is changing how we fall asleep and creating healthy, sustainable sleep associations and breaking free of the unsustainable sleep association of nursing to sleep. And that is hard and scary. So Jay says, hey, you can skip the hard, scary thing. No, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot it, skip this. It's just like... Um... Anytime that you think there's a shortcut to something in life, it's probably not a true shortcut. And yeah. in the long run, will either end up not working or you'll end up doing so much work as to make it not a shortcut anymore. Like potentially if this does work, um, maybe it takes weeks what you could have done in like three days. So. This is the baby this is the baby sleep equivalent to diet supplements. Yes. So you want to lose that baby weight? Hey, listen, you can cut back on carbs and sugar and start exercising or here's a pill. 
Yeah. Now, which one of these seems like a better plan? Realistically speaking, we might hope that the pill is going to solve all of our problems, but we know deep down that it's not. And you have to do the hard part. The hard part is changing your habits, eating differently, getting more active, just like your child. The, the hard part is changing how we fall asleep and establishing a new way of doing things. And I don't even think it's that hard, let's be honest. It's a whole lot easier than two months of five times a night fighting with an angry child who is like, why aren't we nursing the sleep? Yeah. This is what we do. But it is scary. Um, and like before before you – um. Like well, you know what, though? It's scary because Dr. Gordon tells you it's scary. Yes. He tells and Dr. You it's Sears also thing. tells you it's it's scary. And Melissa and I are here to tell you it's not as scary as you no. think. It's it not is as not bad as, as, you, as think. you think. And it's totally, you know, safe and reasonable approach to say, hey, yes. we need to make some changes. This is not working. We're not going to continue doing things that don't work. Yeah. So anyway, so Dr. Jay Gordon's method will come up. I know that addressing it here won't change that. Um, it's like a bad penny. just pops up every once yes. in a while. Uh, but it's just not a good approach. And the reason I mention this is every time I try to tell people this is not a good approach, there's always that one person who's like, but I did it and it worked great for little Jimmy. Listen, it will work great for a tiny percentage of kids, maybe yes. 2% of kids who are super chill and flexible uh, who can roll with what is effectively the inconsistency of falling asleep one way but not being able to stay asleep that same way during the night. And there's always that parent of that 2% or who's like, why is this a great idea? Okay, great. If you think your child is the most flexible, easygoing kid on the planet and you want to give it a try, feel free to give it a try for a couple of days. If it's three to four nights, you're going to know pretty quick if it's working or is an abject failure. But... Trust me when I tell you that for 98% of you, this is going to be a mess. It's going to result in more tears and more struggle than simply addressing the root issue, which is how are we falling asleep at bedtime? Yes, the ironic part about most of uh, many of these like gentle methods that people do to avoid doing um, any kind of uh, sleep training at bedtime is that in the long run, most of them result in more tears than if you yeah. had just done and the more sleep and more resentment and frustration. We really yes. start to get like angry and resentful when yes. our, we feel like we're fighting with our kid all night. Yeah, or not... you or you feel like you're a big failure, and that yeah. that like those are like you can't. Ah, I don't know how. what I want to say. I can't figure out how to word this thought in my brain. But I think we need to look at what is the emotional cost to doing this? If we're feeling resentful and and even hostile sometimes towards our, our, our beloved babies and we're dreading bedtime and we're feeling like a failure... You know, that's that's a high emotional cost to pursuing what is fundamentally a failed strategy to begin with. Yes, so, and it's not a fail. It's not even just a failed strategy. It's a strategy that is based on a false premise. It's based on the premise that to do any of these other things would be unloving and unkind, and yeah. that is not the case. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully by a kind of a looking at sort of some of these parenting constructs and ideas that we've been had floating around, I guess, in our parenting culture about sleep, we can try to unhook from ones that aren't really serving us, that aren't helping us to, you know, really relax and enjoy our children and, you know, appreciate that they're unique individuals with different sleep needs and different wake times. And that's okay. 
And, you know, we don't have to shoehorn them into a schedule and we don't have to, you know, um, have everything that we're doing line up with what everything somebody else is doing. What's really key is, is it working for you? Is your child getting healthy sleep for them? Do they have good sleep hygiene? And if the answer is yes, then you're doing a great job. And that's all that really matters. Yes. I think sometimes, like, when things are going well, sometimes we start to look ahead and, like, what's the next thing that's going to trip me up? But I think, Mm -hmm. like, what you need to do is when things are working well, relax. If there is something that's going to come along to trip you up, it will trip you up. But most of the time, there's no amount of planning that you can do to uh, make that thing trip you up any less. Um, I think like I see that with people asking like about regressions, like, oh no, the 18 month sleep regression is coming up and regressions are a whole different podcast. But I think like if things are going well, don't psych yourself out before problems happen. Yeah. You know what? It's the stuff that it's, it's the tummy bug that comes the day before your cruise is supposed to, you know, leave the port. Like it's that stuff is, that's going to, that's part of life. It's part of the adventure. And, um, you know, all we can, all we can do is kind of let go a little bit. Yeah. And I I like to believe that if your child is sleeping well, if they're falling asleep easily, if they're, you know, they're, they're reasonably happy and healthy, you know, all kids are fussy and cranky sometimes, but you know, then, then probably what you're doing is great. And it doesn't matter if it's what anyone else is doing. It's working for your child. Yes. So... Well, thank you, Melissa, for joining me today and breaking down these sleep myths that are not serving us and are often complicating our lives unnecessarily. Uh, We have a lot of great things coming up, including some pretty major author interviews with The Science of Mom and the author of Expecting Better, and you don't want to miss that. So if you haven't already, head on over to iTunes and subscribe, and we will talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.